Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on The Shorter Catechism, where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinnenweber. The lowly co-host. It's great to be here. It's great to bask in the ether glory of you, the host, Tommy Park. And it's especially good. We have, they call this recidivism. We have a repeat offender back on the podcast. He was here on an episode about baptism, which if you haven't listened to it already, it was excellent. Go back and listen to it right now. But if you're going to keep soldiering on with us now, it's going to be equally as good today because we're talking about prayer with one Dr. Guy Richard, who is president of RTS Atlanta and a sharp dresser. Dr. Richard, welcome back. Well, I can't vouch for the sharp dresser part of that, but uh, I am guilty as charged on the rest. You're also pretty busy lately. Uh, you, We're going to talk about this book today, your book on prayer, Persistence in Prayer, and want you to kind of tell our listeners about this forthcoming series. I know that it's not just you, but two other PCA pastors uh, and, and academics uh, themselves are coming out with a series on the blessings of faith. Talk to us about what this project is and what excites you about your contribution to the project. Yes, uh, thank you. It, I am very excited about this project. I think it is something that uh, it will be a real service, I hope, to the church, real blessing to the church, uh, uh, blessings of the faith. Um, and I think the whole goal is to provide uh, something similar to what the Nine Marks series, I think it's, what is it called, uh, Building Healthy Churches or Healthy Churches or Building, I can't remember what the, what they call that series. Nine uh, Marks of a Healthy Church, is that it? It was the Nine Marks series, but I, they had a, a, maybe it was just I, called a Nine Marks series for the church, I can't remember. It was just the Nine Marks series that they have put out. There's one, John Onwood Checkwell wrote a, book, wrote a book on prayer for that one. They've done a number on church government and different things like that, but that's it right there. Yep. And so um, they, uh, this, the, the whole plan behind this, uh, this series is to do something similar from a Presbyterian reformed point of point of view perspective. And so the first three books in this series are meant to focus in particularly on the means of grace. And so we started with preaching and uh, sacraments, or actually Jason deals more particularly with baptism and then prayer, uh, and uh, provide a uh, particularly uh, Presbyterian uh, Reformed uh, perspective in these areas. You'll obviously see overlap in the two series in the areas where we agree, and you'll obviously see some amount of divergence in the areas where we don't uh, necessarily agree. Maybe, and primarily in the covenant baptism book, I, I could just imagine there being a little disagreement there. But there, there might be, it might be a little bit there. Yeah, I think you're right. But you did such a good job kind of wading us through that in your episode on baptism. Super excited about the episode today. And fun fact for those of you listening, all three of the contributors to this series thus far, Dr. David Strain, Jason Alopoulos, and Guy Richard, have been on the shorter podcast. So we know who to go to. Uh, for, for sound wisdom and advice. So hats off to ourselves, really, for knowing. But the, I guess the real question is, are they as sharp a dresser as I am? No. No, I mean, no. You might have been the only person that came out with a bow tie. Is that true, Tommy? Uh, I need to think of a couple of people. I know one person had a tie, took it off. And then had like a skull t-shirt underneath, correct? 
Yeah, but we we'll, we won't talk about that person. We won't reveal the identity, but I will say it was somebody in the RTS sphere. So you have kind of a punk rock vibe underneath right. there somewhere. Well, I, I do not have the bow tie today, and I do not have the T-shirt uh, either underneath, uh, and so I will just have to go with this and and be who I am. We will roll with it. <laughs> yeah, you get you got the nice glasses and the RTS pin there, so you're doing all right. So today we're going to look at question 98 of the Shorter Catechism, uh, where it uh, discusses the topic of prayer. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite uh, mm -hmm. questions. Uh, and so, Dr. Richard, back in your uh, new book on prayer, what made you write this book? Um, and out of all the blessings of faith, why a book on prayer? And why do you mean, uh, what do you mean when, when you say prayer is a blessing of faith? <laughs> Yeah, I remember hearing Sinclair Ferguson many years ago speak about, it was in, I think, maybe an early sermon many, many years ago, where he uh, told a story about someone, a publisher somewhere, had approached him to write a book on prayer, and he said no, and he actually gave four or five other names of, uh, of individuals to the publisher, and he said, you need to contact these four or five individuals, because I think they would write a better book on prayer than, than I would be able to. And, and he said the publisher kind of sheepishly smiled and, and said, we've already approached all of those four or five people. And they all said the same thing you've said. Uh, I think there's something in us about writing, uh, something that, that is hesitant within us all to write a book on something like prayer, because we're all too well, uh, all too familiar with, with our own failures in regard to prayer. I think every Christian feels a degree of inadequacy when it comes to prayer, even pastors, uh, because we know we're not praying as often as we should be. We know we're not praying as eloquently as we should be. We, we know we're not praying as fervently uh, as we should be. And so uh, all of these things, I think, are mindful, are in the back of our minds. And so even as I set out to write a book on prayer, I would say I didn't set out to write a book on prayer. Uh, what actually happened is through my experience in Hurricane Katrina, my whole view, and I think my um, my my priority uh, that I, I I gave to prayer uh, was turned upside down. It was really affected, and and we had to do some soul searching and some real um, real um, thinking through what prayer is and and why should we be doing it. And so for uh, just beginning with Hurricane Katrina back in August of 2005, uh, I kind of start the book and, and I walk through some of what, what Hurricane Katrina did. It, it destroyed our church building. It destroyed uh, about, 50, about 58 families in our church, lost everything. And so we here I am, a brand new, um, if you will, I graduated seminary, went right on, did my PhD, and then from there came right back. And, uh, and so there, there was no course on how to lead a church in the wake of that kind of devastation. Uh, and so we, we turned to prayer and we turned to prayer and we turned to fasting. We called the congregation to fast, to join us in fasting and prayer. And we began reading and studying and reflecting on prayer and, and in, trying to encourage it within the congregation, trying to encourage it within our session meetings, within the meetings of our elders and, and our deacons and, and so I think that was real the real seedbed. And when the opportunity came here, uh, I've, I've been able to teach and preach on prayer over the years. And, and uh, when Jason Alopoulos approached me and asked if I'd be willing to write uh, a book in the series, um, we got to talking and it, it just seemed like prayer was the right 
uh, thing for us to do, uh, for us to focus in on, for me to focus in on in particular. I, I do as a result of coming through the hurricane and as a result of just being a pastor for 12 years, I have a real heart, not only for prayer, but I have a real heart for motivating Christians to pray. Because as I see in myself, and as I see in other brothers and sisters, it's not so much the, the biggest issues that we face, and here I'm going to deal with maybe a later question that you were planning on asking earlier, something about the, the, the most commonly asked questions in regard to prayer. Um, the questions, I mean, the, the issue that I have is not so much what questions do Christians have about prayer that we need to answer. The issues that I've got are how can we motivate Christians to pray because Christians aren't praying. There's a, there's a statistic on the internet, and I'm sure it must be uh, right on the money because it's on the internet and everything on the internet is. Is that uh, on Wikipedia? Yeah, yeah, right. It could have been on Wikipedia. Who knows? But it was somewhere out there, and it said the average Christian prays three minutes a day, and the average Christian pastor pay, prays five minutes a day. I have no idea whether those numbers are accurate or not. As I said, they're on the internet somewhere. Um, but there's no doubt, I think all of us would, would attest that none of us are praying in the way that we know we ought to. If prayer really does work, and if God really does answer prayer, and if prayer really is a means by which God brings to pass his perfect purposes in the world, you and I need to be praying, and, and, and we need to remember, and we need to be reminded. And so I think part of why I wrote the book was to do that, not only for myself, to remind myself that I need to be committed to prayer, but also to remind God's people uh, anew and afresh that we need to be praying. Uh, Eric Alexander was a friend for a number of years when I was in Scotland, and I had the privilege of having uh, coffee or tea with uh, with uh, Eric Alexander on a number of occasions, a couple of occasions. And one time, Eric shared with me that he read uh, the book by E.M. Bounds, "Power Through Prayer." once a year, every year for his ministry. And he did it to remind himself and to motivate himself to actually pray. And I think you and I are just like uh, him in that we need that constant reminder. And whether it's E.M. Bounds or my book or some other book or a, a sermon or a conference series or whatever it can be, we need to surround ourselves with those reminders and motivation so that we can uh, be reminded and motivated to pray. Oh, that's great. Uh, I guess the, the book for me or has been has been Pray With Your Eyes Open uh, with Richard Pratt. Uh, it's been a great resource. So in chapter one, that, that, was, your, that, that obviously is before reading my book, though, right? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> and, this, and the reason I like your book is that you you go right after my favorite question of the Shorter Catechism um, and what you do in chapter one. Uh, and, you know, so everybody, I'm going to read the question 98 of the Shorter Catechism, just so everybody knows. It says, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for those things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of our mercies. So what did you find so helpful in this definition to, to almost really base a whole chapter on of your book? Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I like all of it. You know, I th there's nothing there that I think is unhelpful. Um, and what I, what I was struck by is how similar the shorter catechism and larger catechism questions are. Uh, in fact, there are uh, they both begin the exact same way. Prayer is an offering up to God, uh, offering up of our desires unto God. 
and then there are, uh, I can't remember, what is it, six phrases, I think it is, that follow, uh, six short phrases about how we're to do that. And, and, and uh, those six phrases are different in the shorter and larger catechisms, but it's the same number of words, if I remember correctly, in both shorter and larger catechism definitions. But the thing that I, I appreciated most is if you simply look at that shorter catechism definition, definition, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. It could uh, sound like it's simply, you know, it may, offering a checklist to God. It's it's a it's a it's a emotionally detached uh, clinical exercise that we go through, and that's not at all, I think, what what the divines intended when they were writing it. I remember one time um, sitting in a prayer committee meeting. A prayer committee had been organized at a church that I was a part of, and the prayer committee's uh, whole intention was to uh, decide or discuss ways to encourage the congregation to be praying. And in the process of this discussion, one gentleman on the committee uh, basically said, I don't understand what the problem is. Why? I don't understand why our people aren't praying. Prayer is just talking to God. It's not it's not complicated. It's having a conversation with God. And, and, and as I thought about that over the years since then, uh, I've thought about how that's not what prayer is. Prayer is a whole lot more than simply talking to God. It's certainly not less than talking to God, but it's a whole lot more than talking to God. And I think we can look at the Shorter Catechism definition of prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. And we can think, well, if that's all we, we just took it at face value, then we could say, well, this man's definition of prayer is talking to God would fit right into that. I think we can take the shorter catechism in that direction. And what I love, I think what I love most about uh, that definition, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God, is the scriptural proof text that's added in both shorter and larger catechisms. It's the same scripture proof text in both shorter and larger catechisms. And it's one verse and one verse only, and it's Psalm 62, verse 8, which I don't can't recite the whole verse to you now. We can look it up, but it basically says something about pouring out our hearts to God. And I found that fascinating, that here you have uh, the divine saying prayers and offering up of our desires unto God, and yet the, the proof text, the Bible passage that they reference uh, to indicate something of what they had in mind. Uh, as a whole, a collective whole, is has nothing to do with offering, make an off, making an offering, has nothing to do with prayer being an incense that's offered before the Lord, has nothing to do with making requests of the Lord or anything like this, but instead pouring out our heart uh, to the Lord. And so as I started thinking through that and started reading more broadly, I saw how many of the Puritans, many of the men who were either at the assembly or who were contemporaries of men who were at the assembly were defining prayer in terms of pouring out your heart, or we might say pleading. I use those two terms interchangeably in my book, pleading and pouring out the heart. And uh, I found that fascinating. And so that struck me and stuck with me. Uh, and so I, I started from that point of view and began then jumping off uh, to look at prayer, not as a clinical offering up of our desires unto God, not as some kind of heart detached or heartless offering up of our desires unto God, but instead a heart full, if, we, if, we, if you will, or a heart engaged, you know, if you will, fervent offering up of our heart, of our desires unto, unto God. And so that's one of the things that I think I love most there in the Shorter Catechism's uh, definition is what they say along with that scripture proof text to be able to show 
that this is a whole-souled enterprise, a whole-souled endeavor. It's not simply something that our mind is engaged in while our heart is checked out or our hearts engaged in while our minds are checked out, but it's a both and. And I think that comes through when you look at those two things together. A quick thought, as you were talking about prayer being an offering, what came to my mind, Psalm 51, 16 and 17, for you will not delight in sacrifice, sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. So the language of pouring our hearts out is itself a sacrifice. So it sounds like, I don't know, do you do you refer to Psalm 51 at any point? Because it you, you're channeling David very much. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Uh, we, I think I do refer to Psalm 51, but not in that connection. And I think that's great. I mean, you know, you can look at all of the Psalms, uh, or at least a lot of them, lot, many of the Psalms that are explicitly prayers, certainly read like they're pouring out their hearts. Uh, and many of the Psalms that, uh, that, are, um, that are meant to be sung certainly are pouring out their heart as well. So you see it uh, beyond just in Psalm 51, but there's no doubt you see the language of offering there in Psalm 51. Sure. At some point, we, we've all heard the question being asked, you know, if God already knows, then why should I pray? Hmm. So how would we respond? Um, in particular, you know, as we talked about at the very beginning, you know, this book series and uh, is set for a more Presbyterian reform tradition. Um, and so this question, particularly in our, in our tradition, is often asked. And um, so what would we say uh, to that? Yeah, you know, I think if, if we're staying within the Presbyterian tradition, then my response would be one thing, and I can come back to that. If we're going, if we're extending that more broadly and we're looking uh, across traditions, and I think my first response would be, uh, yes, the, the question, if God is sovereign, why should we pray, is a, a challenging question. But the, the, the harder question, the more challenging question is the question, if God is not sovereign, why should we pray? That one's more challenging because if God is not sovereign, there's no reason to pray. We might as well pack it up and give it up and give it in because God is not able to do anything about uh, our requests. And, and we're not pray, we're, we're praying to someone who's just maybe a little bit stronger than we are, or maybe just a little bit better or bigger than we are. And so that one is a much more complicated question. If you were focusing within the Reformed tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, those who would embrace God's sovereignty, uh, then obviously the question of why, if God is sovereign, why should we pray? I think I would start uh, in that context differently, and I would answer that question within a Reformed or Presbyterian context by saying a couple of things. One, God commands us to pray. And so regardless of how we answer the question, we can't get, we can't escape the fact, the reality that the Bible commands us to pray. Paul says very plainly in um, 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, uh, I think it's verse 17, that we're to pray without ceasing. And there we're looking at an imperative. Uh, this is an exhortation. Paul says something similar in Colossians 4, I think it is, where he says we are to, um, to uh, continue um, steadfastly in prayer, if I remember correctly, with thanksgiving or something along those lines. So again, you see the imperative. And so that the first thing I would say is that God commands us to pray. The second thing I, was, I would say is that the Bible teaches us that prayer is a means that God uses to bring about his purposes. Uh, God is a God um, who doesn't have to use means. 
He can work immediately without means. He can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. But God uses secondary causes. He uses secondary agents in bringing his perfect purposes to pass. And one of the things that you and I, one of the great privileges, and so you, you want to talk about prayer as a blessing. One of the ways that prayer is a blessing is that you and I have the blessing, the privilege of being co-workers with the God of the universe when we pray. God, uh, God uses our prayers. He condescends, if you will. He stoops down, as Calvin says, speaks baby talk to us, right? When he, when he lisps, lisps to us, when he reveals himself to us, but he, he accommodates himself. He, he stoops down to our level, if you will, and he uses our imperfect stammerings and, 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 and babblings, if you will, uh, and he uses those things to accomplish his perfect purposes. And so in a real sense, when we pray, we are co-workers with the God of the universe. And that's a tremendous privilege and blessing and ought to be a tremendous motivation for us to pray. But that's one another reason why we pray, uh, even though God is sovereign, sovereign we pray despite uh, that reality because we know God is using our prayers. And I think the testimony of the scriptures point to the reality that when God wants to do something, what he does is he motivates his people to pray. And then he moves, he responds in, uh, in answer to those prayers by doing what he intended to do all along. And so we see that God sovereignly ordains and chooses to use the secondary uh, agents and secondary causes uh, like thing, uh, such as things uh, as, as uh, such things as prayer. You know, me doing college ministry, uh, I found this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and this is what really encourages me about uh, teaching our students about prayer. Uh, Cause the, the quote is this, I would teach one said, I would, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. Yes. Um, and so that's just been on my mind particularly right now with everything, but it's been on my mind, you know, and so uh, it's just a, a neat reminder of just the importance. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a great quote because, and it's one that we need to keep on uh, sharing because we don't always believe that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when I, when I came to, when I, when I first was called to, to pastor, I thought I would show up and I'd start preaching and the congregation would just explode in terms of growth and everybody would just be knocking the doors down, ready to get in because here I am and I'm preaching and, and it doesn't usually work that way. Um, but uh, we see, we put our emphasis on preaching and we put our, and, and preaching, no doubt, communicating, teaching, preaching is very important, uh, but we minimize prayer. And I think we need to be reminded of what Spurgeon is saying there. Well, even Spurgeon, you know, that famous story. I think, you know, somebody comes to the church and do you want to see how we warm this church? And he basically walks them down to the, the basement and there's hundreds of, of women and people praying for him and for the church. That's right. In the boiler room. Yep. Yeah. 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 So. Yep. All right, Stephen. Sorry. No, your your story. Uh, it What you had said, Dr. Shark, kind of remind me of a story. I My son really wants to help me garden. And I went to Ace and I got him a gardening shovel, which is like the perfect height for him. It's like one of those half shovels. He's four years old. I can do that work myself, but I'm pleased to give him the means whereby he can participate in the digging in and the working. And that's very much like what God's given us in prayer. He didn't have to give it to us, but because he has, we are to 
use it and avail ourselves of it. So I don't know. Yeah. And I think we miss out on that blessing. There's a blessing there for us. And instead, I think we view prayer as an obligation. We view prayer as a burden oftentimes, you know, and I'll give you an example. And no matter who we are or how long we've been praying, we we fall into that trap. Uh, I pray every night with my wife. Uh, right before we go to bed, we usually go to try to get to bed about go head to bed 30 minutes or so beforehand. And we'll just uh, kneel down around the bed and we'll just pray for about 30 minutes or, or 45 minutes, whatever it turns into uh, together, the both of us. And, you know, I love that prayer time together. It's been a rich time. We don't do it every night, but it's probably we probably average five nights a week. Um, and it's easier during the week than it is on the weekends with uh, too many things going on. But uh, we usually give ourselves some grace and allow the weekends to kind of uh, work themselves out. But um, when we spend that time, I found myself almost um, uh, oftentimes not wanting to engage in the prayer. You know, and, and you've got to it's almost like you've got to force yourself to do it. Uh, prayer oftentimes is kind of like that like that define the relationship conversation that you have to have, you know, you don't want to have that conversation, you know, but once you've had it, you're awful glad you did, you know, and it helps tremendously. And I think prayer is the same way, you know, oftentimes leading up to it, we don't want to engage in prayer, but once we've started and once we've gotten into it, it's always a blessing. And, and it has been that way for me. And I was, last night was just a perfect example. We prayed together last night and, I didn't want to do it. You know, I was just not wanting to do it. I was like, can't we just skip one night, you know, but we got it, got down, we started praying and I started off and it was probably, you know, five minutes into my prayer. And yeah, I was convicted by all of that. I used that, poured it out, poured, shared that with the Lord. And uh, it just, it was a blessing. Uh, it was a blessing after the fact. Uh, and, um, but oftentimes we don't, we look at it more as a more of a burden or an obligation than a, than a blessing. So for the person that is not a teaching elder, ruling elder, they don't feel like prayer is their strong suit. They don't get paid to speak like we do. And a lot of the time, I have a prayer meeting at my church, and uh, I would love to hear every single person pray in the prayer meeting, but some people feel daunted by it. What advice would you give to the person who struggles to know what to pray, how to pray. So give us some practical how-tos of prayer. So we, we know we ought to pray now. We know that the t- scriptures teach us that we ought to pray. Now, how do we pray? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, in terms of um, of how-to, in terms of uh, of how-to, obviously, you, you can look at the, the Lord's Prayer as an example for prayer. It's one of the reasons that Jesus gave it to us when he, in answer to his disciples, and he said, uh, when you pray, pray like this, right? Uh, pray then like this. Uh, and so I think we can take the Lord's Prayer uh, as a sample, as an example of how we are to pray, and we can pattern our prayers after that. Uh, and I think, uh, so I think that's one thing we can look at. But the other thing I would say is, very practically, we need to, we need to memorize Scripture. The more we can, can pray, you know, there's that, there's that passage in 1 John, I think it's in what, chapter 5, uh, we're to pray according to, to the will of God, pray according to God's will. And when we do, we, we can be confident that we have what we've asked of him. Uh, I think one of the, the first thing I would say that passage means is that we're to pray according to his will or pray according to his revealed will. 
Uh, and, and so the Bible is God's revealed will. And so we know we, we can go with great confidence before the throne of God, praying according to God's revealed will and know with confidence that we have what we've asked of him because we're just praying his words, his promises back to him. And so I think one of the things practically we can do is just memorize more scripture. Uh, and before we've memorized the scripture, we can pray with our Bibles open, just open up the Bible to a Psalm and just read it and, and use it as prayer. Use every verse as a way to direct a, a petition or a praise to, to the Lord. Um, and then I think the other thing we can, other things we can do is we can listen to more people pray. I think the more we are around uh, prayer, the more we will think like that. If, if I don't know how long you guys have been in ministry, but it wasn't probably it wasn't probably three or four years into my ministry uh, at the church where I started hearing other Christians pray the same way I did. And the first time I remember still to this day, the first time I heard someone in the congregation pray with a certain turn of phrase that was mine, that I, I, I looked up and I was just like, it just blew me away. But I think that's exactly what happens. And, and that's a beautiful thing, a beautiful privilege that we have as pastors and leaders is that we're praying in front of people so often that they're hearing these kinds of things. And so I think the more we're around other people and more uh, we're around mature Christians when they're praying, the more we're going to pick up and learn uh, some of how to pray. Uh, I had uh, Derek Thomas, one of my old seminary professors, used to say that preaching is better caught than taught. Uh, and what he meant by that is it, you know, it gets, you can only learn so much in the classroom about preaching. You actually have to engage in it and learn it by doing it. And I think prayer is the same way, you know, um, yes, you can learn about prayer and the best place to learn about prayer is in the private closet, in your private closet at home, you know, do it alone by yourself. And I think that's the best preparation for preaching, uh, for, excuse me, for praying in public. Um, so those are some, some practical things. I think, you know, we'll never be over the nerves. I think no matter who we are um, in the right forum, we're all a little bit, you know, nervous or a little bit anxious about what people are going to think of us. I think that that applies to all of us. I was asked to pray before the General Assembly here in Atlanta back in, was that 2017, 18, whatever that was, and one of the worship services. And so uh, I did, and and standing there on the stage, getting ready to walk up, yeah, I was a little bit nervous. Uh, here's what, 4,000 people or something standing, sitting out there, and many of whom I know very well. And um, so you can't help for that. But I think um, courage means, um, faith means we step out, we obey, even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of uh, anxiety. And I think we we do the things we're talking about, memorize scripture, we listen to mature Christians pray, we, we, we pray uh, at home by ourselves, and, and then we just step out in faith and we trust the Lord. You already touched on this question, the question that people ask most concerning prayer. In your last chapter of the book, you give some questions and answers uh, to those common questions. So what are some other questions that people come to with regard to prayer, come to, you know, uh, prayer with, and then pastorally, how do you guide them through that? So I, I love how you say, you know, we model it, we model it, and there's a necessity of being praying men ourselves. Um, how will they pray unless someone teaches them to and models that for them? What other wisdom would you give or questions and answers? 
Uh, you know, I think I think one of the greatest mistakes. Uh, well, as, as I said before, I think the greatest problem we have is not so much men and women praying wrongly or misunderstanding prayer or not having all the answers in regard to all to the questions uh, they have in regard to prayer. I think the greatest problem we have is prayerlessness, and, and so we we need God's people praying, and we need to encourage and motivate and and uh, um, God's people to pray. And so that's a big part of what I'm trying to do in the book. There are many books out there that are focused more on how-tos and many books out there that are focused on convicting uh, God's people and, and the rest of it. I'm trying to encourage and I'm trying to motivate. And I think we need to do more of that. Uh, obviously, why, if God is sovereign, why pray uh, is a big question. I think what I also see is Christians, uh, you know, one of the problems that I see today in, in among Christians it's nothing that should surprise any of us. It's not only a um, a lack of prayer. There's also a lack of Bible study and uh, and Bible reading. Uh, many of the folks in the congregation where I served, uh, many of them, you know, I have no idea what what percentage. It may only have been ten percent. I mean, who knows? But there were many in the congregation who I knew because we had conversations about it. We're not looking at their Bibles in between Sundays. They'd come on Sunday, uh, Sunday after Sunday, but I knew they were not looking at their Bibles Monday through uh, through Saturday. And so uh, one of the reasons I think prayer is so hard for, for many Christians is because they they don't have the Bible knowledge and the Bible um the Bible's not in their minds and in their hearts, if you will. And so the language of the scriptures aren't there. And so they struggle with what to say and what words to say. I think that's part of the problem. Part of it, too, is maybe we're putting some too much pressure on ourselves. Uh, maybe our expectations are too high. You know, no one had to teach me how to speak to my wife. When I dated my wife and I was with her, we were dating. We were, uh, you know, and we dated for like three years through college before we got engaged, before, before we got married. Um, but no one had to give me a handbook on what to say. You know, it, it just came natural because there was a relationship there. And I think that's part of it, too. I think we need to free uh, Christians up and we need to free ourselves up and to realize that the prayer is a, a necessary. It's, a, it's an overflow of the intimacy, the intimate relationship that we have with the God of the universe. And so it the, the that's why I say praying alone in private is sometimes the best preparation we can do for praying in public, because in private, we can speak more intimately and we can grow that relationship. One of the things I made much of in my book, Tim Keller had an idea. I heard it from Tim first. I'm sure others have said it too, but Tim spoke about, um, about uh, sexual intimacy in marriage and he called it covenant cement. It was, it's glue, he said. And I saw it for years as a pastor. You do marriage counseling, and you see that most of the couples that would come in for marriage counseling had not been intimate for a long time before they came in to see me for, for marriage counseling. And so you see some of that. When, when couples are intimate, there is it's, it's kind of like a glue that holds them together and builds and strengthens that relationship. And I argue in my book that prayer is just like that in terms of our relationship with God. Uh, and I cite, uh, cite a quote from Samuel Rutherford. Uh, Samuel Rutherford, Scottish Puritan, 
from the 17th century used to say that when we pray, our faith kisses Christ and Christ kisses us. And, you know, we may not like to speak that way today, especially as men, um, but I think there's something there that he's trying to, to, to communicate is that we have a, a relationship, an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And prayer is relational glue. It strengthens that relationship. Uh, it bonds our hearts, if you will, more to the Lord. And so I think the more we do it in private, we've got then the, um, the platform. We've got that, that relational strength to go out and pray in public uh, the way we, we, we won't have if we're not praying and giving ourselves to prayer in private. Praying in public is but an overflow of the intimacy with which we pray in private. So I think sometimes, especially in like prayer meeting context, people think that it's performance, That's that right. it's like a uh, reformed vocabulary test where we need to say sovereignty, providence, you know, as many times as we can over the course of a prayer. But really, I can't remember the Puritan, prayer is faith breathing. Yes. And it's that very natural relationship, like a child to a father. My son doesn't come to me with a script. He doesn't need to impress me with the words, but the sincerity of heart is ultimately what we offer up. Now, we've got your book coming out very soon. Are they all coming out simultaneously, yours? Yes, the three books are supposed to be out September 22nd. So um, they will be, um, that's right, right there. Mine's red. I think David Strain's is uh, is yellow. And Jason Alopoulos's is uh, blue. If there were like a Black Friday kind of like line, if people still sold books in stores, I can imagine there would be lines out the door, or at least we'd encourage that. But it is the internet age. So line up on Amazon, everybody. Get ready to buy these books, package deal. And uh, we may have one or two to give away to those who listen to the podcast. So Dr. Richard, thanks again for joining us. Such a pleasure to have you. Well, thanks for having me, and I enjoyed it tremendously. Looking forward to reading that book and hope that everybody else does as well. As those are released, we'll, we'll, we'll get, be giving away a couple of copies ourselves. So look out for that. And until we talk next, keep it short.